Hey, this is Rant Vague. This is Making Things as Frightening. And I'm here with Aeon Ginsberg. Aeon, I'm so glad to have you with me. Aeon, <laughs> Aeon is a poet. You are a editor for Peach Magazine. I am. Um, all of your bios say you are also a bartender and a bitch. Which Those I, are both true? Yes. We were just talking about bartending and all that stuff before the yeah. interview. Um, welcome to the show. I'm so glad you came on. Thanks. Uh, Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Of course. Yeah. I became aware of you. Well, I became aware of you because <laughs> we both post on the same video game discord, yeah. which is, you know, definitely we can talk about that in a bit too i mean uh, how do you meet people nowadays yeah exactly it's, it's all the internet <laughs> it's like uh we live in a digital world i feel like very much it's the equivalent of like post-pandemic version of like oh yeah i've i've seen them at parties before like we go oh, to yeah. the same we move in the same digital social circle <laughs> yeah but also because just through, I had been aware of Peach Magazine, and when I was posting on Discord, I posted something random about um, Yaz, who yeah, Yaz is, Lancaster, yes, who yeah. is also it's amazing, part of, yeah, is also uh, part of Peach Magazine, and is a, a composer that I really respect. Um, puts out some yeah. awesome, awesome stuff. And you had mentioned you are the poetry editor for Peach Magazine. One of. One uh, of so the poetry editors. we have, like, a head poetry editor, Liz Bowen, and then we have uh, three, like, uh, sub, for lack of a better term, uh, other poetry editors, myself, uh, Senna Yi, and Kelly Zio. Um, I absolutely love, I my main exposure to... Peach Magazine, I think, is through Instagram and just you guys post the snippets yeah. of poetry and then you can click through and read the whole poem. And I have just, like, every poem you guys post on there is so incredible. It's, Thank you. Yeah. It's yeah. really such an awesome source for poetry that you guys are putting out there. Thanks. Uh, yeah, it's It's been fun uh, to be a part of this team, especially, like, in the, like, transition from being an already digital magazine to... Uh, incorporating like our new quarantine lifestyle and how we like broadcast work um in the in the span of the last 12 months wow uh we started doing like little audio snippets and video snippets of the people we publish giving them the opportunity to be like hey do you want to like record a video of you reading your work and we'll put it on our instagram um which has been a really fun opportunity to give people the chance to like continue to perform in a sense because i feel like a lot of especially this current generation of like writers are are writing to perform um a lot of i know a lot of poets who have gone from the like slam poetry to written poetry pipeline uh yeah. of like <laughs> oh yes i i watched uh andy gibson do spoken word poetry and now i'm going to be a spoken word poet which is fine it's great it's like i am a part of i'm a product of that yeah for sure <laughs> but it is very much like uh a product of uh, our generation of writers we have had access to the internet and how do you broadcast your work you get a good youtube video and hopefully somebody uh reposts it or shares it and then it's on tumblr and 
and you're internet famous. I I mean, I think that's exactly, (laughs) yeah, that is the genesis of of this, of, of making things as frightening is I like was super into trying to publish like short fantasy and short horror. And I was Mm -hmm. like very interested and concerned with that super, super niche publication field. And then it was like, I am, it's just me and the other people who are trying to get published who are super, super into this publication field. And then everybody is sort of tangentially aware of it. And yeah, I think there very much is that, that, desire to adapt into performing and making things more personal um more public yeah and more public and and easier to access too really yeah um Uh definitely the case and like i know it's all like small bubbles that we're hoping that someone who's like right on the periphery of it will access and pull it out of the bubble yeah exactly that's that's a little bit of fear itself as well as like is someone going to notice me? Yeah. I'm going to get picked. <laughs> and then the fear, if you do get noticed, you're, yeah. you know. Is it going to go well? Yeah. There's, I don't know. I, there's plenty of, I, I only recently uh, heard about this uh, sci-fi, like, horror short story of sorts. Um, that it was this person's, like, first publication, and as soon as it was published, they got a ton of death threats because some people didn't understand that, like, they were writing coming from the perspective of, like, being a trans person. And yeah. it was uh, all about the joke of, like, I sexually identify as an attack Yes, helicopter. I heard about that. And yes. it's, like, been near all but wiped from the internet. The author is, like, uncontactable, like... And it sucks that, like, this person, like, got this publication. It's, like, that's a huge deal on its own, right? And then somebody takes it out of context. And yeah. then that's scary. Did you read the piece? Uh, yeah, I managed to locate it through a Wayback Machine. Yeah. Um, and it's beautiful. It's really good. Yeah, that it's was incredibly the- good. And how could someone who is, like, coming from this, like, how could you read it and be like, oh, yeah, a cis-hetero person wrote this book? And it's like, no. It's all about, like, the beauty of becoming who you really are and all this yeah. stuff. And, like, oh, God. I read it and I was so heartbroken because I'm afraid of that stuff, too. I, You know, yeah. writing writing horror, I write from the bad guy's perspective so often because sometimes it's just easier to do that. And yeah. you're so afraid to, of being taken, like, I'm endorsing this stuff or something like right. that. Right. And I don't know. That's... It, all it takes is like one person with enough clout to misunderstand it or to understand it in a way that you hope not to be understood. Exactly. Um, which is a valid like viewpoint. Yeah. I mean, what do, what do we learn in school is to like analyze this thing and make an assumption about it and then get a grade. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, I am one of the foremost purveyors of that as a middle yeah. school English teacher. <laughs> so. Nice. I'm in charge of doing no, I try really hard not to be that way, but that yeah, but that's, I mean, uh, yeah, teachers get like pigeoned into that, like you gotta have a quota, you gotta meet a statistic, yeah, for sure so you it, have, it's very hard, I know you have I know, standards know. you have to meet for sure, yeah, one of the things I wanted to say though, I touching back to what we were saying, um performance and wanting to perform live and stuff. You have, uh, so your your most recent public, am I correct? That's your most recent publication, Greyhound? Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Uh, 
my my first like big book as yeah, it were. Your, um, your your first big book though though you do yeah. have some previous publications which I yeah. didn't read. Um but Greyhound uh yes. you have a playlist on Spotify that is the like well could you explain to me the relationship that the playlist has with the with uh the, the playlist I made because I had the fortunate uh, circumstance of having my first book published during a pandemic where people are already struggling to concentrate and access any kind of new content. So I was like, well, I will continue to do these things that are tangentially related to the book. Um, so I made the Spotify playlist of music that I had listened to a lot while writing the book or that feel similar in energy or content to the things I was uh, working through and chewing through. Um, and then just kind of put it up for anyone to access, whether they've read the book or not. And I, I hope that it... Uh, Oh, it's good supplemental material. Well, I've been listening to it a lot as I've read Greyhound. Um, Greyhound is um, a book of poetry. I think it would be pretty fair to say they're all the same theme. It is a book about travel and your personal experience with transitioning and mm -hmm. the experience of being a gender mm -hmm. and... Um, it's a really incredible book. I encourage anybody who's listening to this uh, to, to please check it out. Um, I was reading it while listening to the playlist, and uh, there was some interesting tracks that I wanted to talk about. There is a track yeah. that I can't pronounce, but I am absolutely obsessed with. It's by a group called Face, I think. Is that the name? Yeah. Yes. Face is so good. They are essentially a Russian SoundCloud rapper uh, who I found out uh, my friend Neon uh, showed me face. They have a song that uh, translate the title translates to, I want to destroy the West. Um, <laughs> and it, the video is so good. They're just like, there's like a underground lab and then um, they grow hundreds of feet tall and they're in New York city and they're just like, Godzilla terrorizing the city and then a giant Mike Tyson and uh, like a giant bear fight each other. It's, that it's sounds amazing. Inc that sounds incredible. I'm a hundred percent going to look that up. After I didn't um, even consider that they have music videos. I, yeah. I've been so obsessed with that song. I think I started listening to the playlist like a week, a week and a half ago. Yeah. And I've just been bopping to that song you put on the, the playlist yeah. since then. Um, and I, I bring up the playlist because um, I think it shows there's a really interesting mix of music there and especially of like tones. Like you mm -hmm. have Extraordinary Machine by Fiona Apple, which is like a song that makes me feel very Stellar. good about but myself. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then you have, you know, If This Tour Doesn't Kill You by Pup, which is a song that's, you know, really deep down in the lows. Yeah. Um, and just nice. personally, as somebody who I read a lot of poetry, but I don't, I don't write a lot of poetry. I don't mm -hmm. feel like I have that level of craft knowledge that puts me to the place where I can make, you know, super big judgments about poetry. But I felt like the Spotify playlist helped me 
connect with the book on a on another level because I'm very familiar with that experience of putting together a playlist that's yeah. songs related to what you're writing. And it it gave me another viewpoint into what you were writing uh, as far as Greyhound goes. I wanted to talk a lot about Greyhound because, you know, uh, obviously yeah. that's the the most recent thing that you've done. And that yeah. is... It's the big thing on my shelf right now. Yeah. Um, you called it a... You call it several times um, when you're talking about the poem within the poem itself. You talk about it being about movement, about being about the movement of bodies, about travel, about stations of travel. What is it like to have this book that is so deeply about travel in in kind of a world where travel has been uh, taken off the shelf for a little bit? I feel like my work generates uh, the biggest connection with people when I am like performing it in their city or their their location and so doing like digital readings through zoom or I, I did one on facebook live it's it's close and but it feels like i'm just like reaching like the edge of where i am trying to access um and just not being able to reach it it feels very much like i'm trying to tell you something but i don't know the words or the right language to be able to tell you it um yeah, I mean, I spent, I started writing the book in 2016 and I was doing a fair amount of like touring and traveling, taking Greyhound buses and Amtrak trains and uh, any kind of like public transit in the areas I was at. I took a, the, the Via Rail in Canada a couple times, um, which is like there. I don't know how to describe it outside of like a, like a commuter rail to get from like generally large city to city. Um, accessing what I'm trying to talk about while not being static and then it's done and I'm in this very static place with everyone else who is very like grounded and static unless you're choosing to like forego uh decency and continue yeah, to travel or you're an asshole yeah <laughs> which is you know some people have to do it for employment and I'm not going to knock that but some people are very much like well, I spent two days after I got my COVID test and it was a rapid one. It said, I don't have COVID. So now I'm going to go to Vegas. And it's like, well, no, <laughs> don't <laughs> there's do a lot of problems with that, uh, yeah, with that a- justification. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it feels really weird. It feels really weird to try to access the parts of myself that came to be in this book when I don't have the, the modes uh, the modes of being that I had to write it. So in one of the earlier poems, in, in the first poem or the first, okay, actually, you know what, before I take it again, just because I don't know, is it is it considered all one poem or do you consider parts of it separate poems? Uh, I, I mean, you can include this by any sense. I consider it one poem uh, that is met from different angles. Uh, I've described it as like one long form poem, as a memoir in verse, as uh, fragments of the same experience. Is it is? I don't know. It uh, is an amorphous shape that you should call what you meet it as. Yeah, um, and and totally, and and part of the reason that I almost didn't even question that is because I, I definitely read it as as one 
poem as one, um, like you said, uh, the, the, the different takes on one thing, absolutely, that comes through just because so much of it carries back to those same things and has yeah. those same motifs that come up. Variations on a theme. Yeah, variations on a theme, absolutely. About halfway through, you suddenly say, this isn't just about me anymore. You have very much, in in the first half, there's sort of the personal reflections on your experience with transitioning and sort of the terrifying ordeal of being known and perception and, and all of that. And then... Um, just about halfway through, you say, this isn't just about me anymore. This is about the movement of all bodies. And I was wondering, um, do you remember uh, when around it was that you wrote that or decided that, that kind of midpoint shift away from you into uh, kind of taking a larger look at... Um, other trans people you know and about immigration and about uh, the police state and all of that? I would say probably also about like the midway point between starting this project and like ostensibly like finishing it because mm-hmm. I feel like I could have kept writing this book forever. Um, it would probably continue to grow and change and expand and contract in various ways. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I had this idea like, oh, I'm traveling a lot. I should write a book about Greyhound buses. Uh, and then that became like, oh, this is a thing about like the movement of like one identity shift to another, uh, in like a personal sense. And I was like, well, fuck that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Why, why would I want to subject anyone to listening to me talk about myself for, uh, any number of pages this, when I could, say a thing as clearly as I could uh, about a very shared experience about being alive, about like living in one sense of yourself and then waking up one day and realizing that isn't true anymore. Um, And learning that like you have been the sense of yourself because of any number of circumstances, small or large, um, which I think it all comes down to the root of like, Capitalism is bad and it makes everyone uh, reject themselves uh, at their core. Um, Oh, yeah. I don't know if I've explicitly said this on this show, but on this show, we believe capitalism is bad. Just going to put that out there for (laughs) whether the show believes it or not. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Um, Whether the listener believes it or not, it's true. Um, There has been no meaningful creation brought about by capitalism other than the uh, unkindling fire, or maybe not, that's not, uh, undousable flame of destroying capitalism. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, like every small thing that makes life worse is a product of uh, people trying to maintain systems of power, which all stems from the existence of like, I have one more thing than you do, therefore I am better or more powerful than you are. Um, so when I got to the point like midway in working on this project. I was like, no, like, yes, this is about my personal transition, but it's also like 
about the people who have around me who have also changed the state of the world that has changed as I have created this. I am like a product of that as much as they are a product of what we have shared. Um, not that like everything is fucking political or whatnot, but I mean, I started writing this in the early half of 2016. And then as someone who lives in America, I experienced what we all experienced and then I finished it around 2019 and a lot changed in the, the, that short span of time. You, you brought up something really interesting. Um, you said uh, everything that, you know, capitalism has created is basically in service of, you know, I have one more of, you you know, one more thing than you in service of these systems of power. Mm -hmm. Um, We both, I think it is fair to say, play video games sometimes. We, that is, that is something that we both I think it is fair to say that. (laughs) Yes. And uh, in video games, pretty often it's like, Sometimes I sort of have this like uh, dissociation moment where I realize that I spend most of my time like acting out these things that I despise. Like I play war video games and I play um, video games where you're enacting fantasy racism essentially and and mm-hmm. you know and i gleefully play the games where you get to play the villain i prefer those games and yeah. do you think it's just a cultural thing or what do you think separates it from us being these people who are thinking about or or reflecting on how these power systems affect our lives to sort of spending a portion of our free time gleefully reenacting that in a way. Hmm. Hmm. I think it is a product of what entertainment has become uh, since the dawn of time. There's, it is entertaining to masquerade as something you're not and to try to do a thing you can't do. Um, like I don't know, my favorite video game series is essentially fantasy war chess where you, there's fire emblem, you take, children and you groom them into becoming weapons of destruction (laughs) and then in the earlier adaptations of that game like if someone dies there's no like bringing them back they don't show up the next time um the like ever elusive like perma death i don't know when we think we from and someone who is not a games journalist by any sense when you think about the games are the most popular uh it usually is the games where it's like you are enacting something that you cannot do or that you want to do, but is morally reprehensible. Yes. Um, I I would play Dead by Daylight, but I'm a scary cat. But also, like, the villains seem really fun. And, like, <laughs> oh, yeah, this person's whole deal is he, like, puts you on a hook and, like, skewers people. Uh, and, like, that's... That's so fun. The evil in in video games is often so much more interesting than the evil in reality. Like the the real evil we have to come up against. Like Like the evil in reality where it's like, yes, yay, I got a job. I don't have to worry (laughs) about paying rent and utilities and whatnot. But the evil is that I needed to worry about like having a house and like having a roof. Yeah. And that, that that is a thing that could be taken away. And so, you know, going then, into video games where it's like, I don't have to worry about paying rent in a video game. 
Unless you specifically want to. Unless I specifically want to. If I want to play a game where I have to worry about rent, I will. In which case, there's there's several games. I have not logged into Animal Crossing in several months. (laughs) Uh, Got to the point where doing chores every day felt hard. Yeah. Uh, I went back and looked at, um, was it 2016 you put out Loathe, Love, Lathe? uh 17 uh i believe so um it was part of a chapbook series that this press uh nestrovia press put together um that is they they do a or used to at the very least um a 48 hour open submission period where you send in your work and then eventually they get back to you and they say who gets the book and who doesn't um and I got lucky to be chosen for that. And I'm at the point now where I probably would have titled that differently. But at the time, I was like, this is so clever. All these words sound similar. <laughs> no, is, I love fine. it. <laughs> <laughs> but and I, that, that's what happens. You get far enough away from something, you're just like, what if it was different? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I was just about to say, I think that it's just the experience of making something is when you get far enough away from it, you look back and you're like, man, could it could have been better, could have done it better for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But you have a poem in there, In the Queer Utopia, um, and you say, in movies of utopic states, we're convinced of two things. Regardless of anything else in the film, power is necessary and naturally sought after, and the supplication to power is what helps utopia maintain itself. Um, I really loved those lines. They really stuck with me um, because I'm somebody who who writes when I when I write science fiction. I I tend to write utopian or you know stuff that could be taken as utopian mm-hmm. uh, science fiction. Um, and I was wondering specifically, did you have any movies? I have a list of movies that I could think of that were utopian. Did you have any you were specifically thinking of? I know that's like callback. Uh, oh gosh. In most like cyberpunk adjacent films yeah, uh, are usually, um, oh, you come at it from the sense of like, you're watching from the, the, whatever police state or whatever like governmental state is controlling the universe and either it's somebody who needs to like fix the government from within or someone who is a part of the government who needs to fix the the terrorists that are going to take away this utopia from people um i don't know as 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 a someone who is in in varying states of medical transition uh a future where you could just go to a corner store and get it is the one I'm going to gravitate towards because it should be that easy. Um, so when I think about like what a queer utopia could look like, I go to that. And I also, at the time I was writing that, I still read a lot of theory. Uh, I read a lot of like nihilist theory and queer theory, uh, Baden, uh, nihilist communism, like things by the invisible committee, uh, oh, yeah, which, I definitely went through an invisible committee phase for sure. Yeah, yeah. I feel and it. I think that there is merit in a lot of the things that you can find in collections of theory, but I also feel like it is 
most academic writing to me speaks to uh, a an audience that really wants to hear themselves speak. They really want everyone in the room to know that they know big words and they know how to use them. Um, and some is not some theory is not that way, but for the most part, like writing about like utopia from a theoretical perspective comes at that like how can I like pigeonhole like these philosophers' names, the word jouissance, and like you know Daytonement. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> how can i do this and then make a smarter point after? yeah i'm gonna name drop schopenhauer and then see if i can reflect that into something you know saliable no absolutely oh, yeah. i i think you know in, in the pursuit of of because i definitely came at theory at a certain point when when i first realized that i was that i you know was non-binary and that I was having questions about my gender. Um, uh, theory was definitely the first place that I looked because I was like, maybe somebody smart wrote something about yeah. this was my first thought. But I, I definitely find that you, you do have that experience where it is basically written to be inaccessible. It is written yeah. so that you have to have read the the works that are being referenced to really get anything out of the work itself. And I think that's a lot of people's experience with theory is they just yeah. bounce off of it because it's not written to be accessible. It's written to be a exclusive club. Yeah. And then you always have the one person who's recommending you theory who knows more than you and has actually finished the things, but can't tell you anything about them because you have to read it to really understand. Oh yeah. Which usually sure. speaks to me, somebody who hasn't actually read it and doesn't actually understand it. <laughs> they um, they looked at all of the words once and yeah. then they thought that was good. There's enough. no spark notes for queer theory. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's kind of at, at a certain point, you know, queer theory, it's part of it's a lived experience i yeah um, it's also like a varied experience um yes. i don't know like your your lived experience and my lived experience are different things um absolutely and they're all product of the circumstances of like how we were able to be raised like the uh, things we were able to access both in like education and stability and medication and all of that and just like how uh, how we have come to be is definitely a product of, you know, the things that have put us down in a lot of ways. I mean, you were speaking that like when you're learning about um, your own experience as a non-binary person, do you gravitate to theory? That is not going to be the case for everyone. It's like, absolutely. Not. I have like mentioned theory to some people and they've been like, yeah, I don't know what that is. And I don't care. I found out I was non-binary because I watched this music video. I'm like, yeah, that's true. That's great. I love that for you. Um, I mean, even still, I have been publicly transitioning for about a decade now. And, you know, it still changes. I wake up some days. I'm like, well, maybe, maybe uh, turn the knob a little bit more and see how comfortable that gets. Um you know, askew it a little bit more and see how comfortable I am. Uh, which is, it, I think writing has helped with that. I think that video games have helped with that. Um, I don't know, the, the trope of like, I pick the lady fighters in Street Fighter because I just think they're neat to 
I pick the lady fighters because I want to be them. Yeah, like I, I want legs like Chun Li. Uh, I very much, you know, we were talking about you realize you your experience with gender might be different with, from other people because of you know looking at theory or looking at a music video. I, you know, absolutely, I hardcore hit that trope of. I don't know why I always pick the girl in Pokemon. I, no. you know, <laughs> it's a mystery. Oops. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. I just think the costume options are better. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Which they are, which is they so are. rip. It's, it's, <laughs> well, sometimes I think in, I, I don't own it, but watching people play the most recent Tekken game, there's a lot of good costumes in that. Yes. For all bodies. Yes, it's including great. Tiger Body, which is yeah. not currently a body option. We can not, have IRL, but, you know. Not current a body option. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think well, there's the one person who got really close to that, the, like, Catman. Oh, yeah, that's right. He had, had, had like, a cat body. <laughs> Uh, and had then, a cat body and wasn't a well maybe was a furry but like wasn't furry yes was still flesh <laughs> <laughs> a fleshy yes and which fleshy is kind of that's that's like what the the cats in the most recent cat movie were yes yeah. horrible human I, cats. okay i don't know if this is your experience but Everyone I've spoken to who has seen the horrible human cats cats movie has said that there has been someone in the theater while they had, were seeing it who was trying to get down who was like boning somebody. Every single person I've spoken to who has seen cat who saw cats in theaters said that there was somebody in the theater having sex. I did not see it in theaters, so I, I didn't can't, either. I can't, I can't <laughs> confirm that, but like everyone I know who has seen or did see it in theaters had that shared experience and it was at different times and different cities. So I have to wonder, is it, this movie is terrible. Nobody's going to be in here. We absolutely can fucking hear. Or is it cats? Hell yeah. Mr. Mistopheles is about to be our third. Okay. But to be fair, wasn't Mr. Mistopheles, uh, Jason Derulo or was Mr. Mistopheles Idris Elba? I have no idea. <laughs> I, I also don't know. <laughs> I can't confirm or deny this. I watched Cats in uh, a totally legal way on my yeah. computer, and I really was not paying attention while I was watching it. I was streaming it with my friends in some with some program or something, yeah. and we were just shooting the shit while it was in the background. So yeah. literally can't even tell you which one Mr. Mistopheles is. <laughs> Yeah, wouldn't be able to. Well, thank you for having the chat with me today. Yeah. I really enjoyed talking about cats and poetry and getting your work out there and performing and all that stuff. I've yeah. had a really wonderful time. Um, I likely will see you in the Twitch stream that we both frequent. Yeah, um, in the Twitch stream and the Discord server. Yes, which if they Twitter. want to pay me, I will start saying their name on it. <laughs> Yeah, I, I would love to have a, a, a check cut. Yeah, I am there. like, I continue to think about like, how can I pitch an idea for book reviews? 
I, but, I've, I've been pitching, I and it's been unsuccessful. I was like, hey, what if I talked about... I've been pitching. So if um, you want to just start putting your... I've already embarrassed myself in there. Okay. So if you want to start, yeah, I've cleared the way for you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, this has been Making Things is Frightening. I've been Rant Vague. This has been Ian Ginsberg, and I hope you've enjoyed what we've made for you this week.